welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. Pray to a statue or, or to some idol or go to some special tree or river. But all we got to do is just mention his name. And he's a very present help in the time of trouble. Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Our kids can be dismissed to their class at this time. God bless them. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 35, where we've been keying off, and then Hebrews 12, 14, and uh, then Isaiah 19 and 19. Amen. Isaiah chapter 35. Verse 8, Hebrews 12, 14, Isaiah 19, 19. And we're just going to go ahead, since uh, we've read these quite a few times, I'm just going to go ahead and get into them. Amen. And highways shall be there in a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. Hebrews, Paul says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And then Isaiah 19 and 19. This is what we're focusing on. This particular lesson of this Way of Holiness series. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and its glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Amen. And we are talking about, now we spent a couple of months talking about the spirit of holiness. And then last week we we came into a new segment of this series on uh, the setting of a standard. And that's what we are talking about is the setting of a standard. Amen. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the people of God. I thank you, Lord, for revelation and truth and Lord I pray you would open our understanding make us not to only be hearers of your word also but doers Lord and I pray God that you would let your spirit begin to give us revelation and enlightenment in the name of Jesus and everyone said amen God bless you you can be seated amen somebody say the setting of a standard now we, we talked about uh, last week as we got into this, we talked about how important it is for us to have a standard and how important it is that what a standard or banner would represent. And uh, we talked about how David in Psalms 20 uh, wrote about a standard. In 20 and 5, he says, we will rejoice in thy salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners, our standards. And so we talked about David's close relationship with God and now that David began to lift up a standard or a banner of the name of God. And uh, then we talked about why it's important uh, to have standards, and number one, because God has standards, right? And, uh, you know, er- everything, it's, it's amazing how in the last uh, half century that it's only been offensive for the church to have standards. 
McDonald's has standards, albeit they're quite low. <laughs> I'm not a McDonald's fan, if you can't tell. Only when the McRib's out, amen. And even it ain't even a rib. It's just like some squirched patty, but I still like it, amen. It's, it's pretty good. But, but I kind of like the, the banquet frozen dinner uh, beef patty rib thing, I, pork patty rib thing. I think that's pretty good. I take it off and slap it on some bread, and it tastes like a McRib to me. But that's just me, amen. Uh, so why have standards? Well, the world has standards. Um, everybody has standards, amen. The problem is we are a society that focuses on minimum standards, Minimum safety standards. Your car has a minimum safety standard. And uh, oftentimes we buy what we can get in our budget, right? We'd all like to be driving one of those. Uh, well, I don't know if we all would, but it'd be nice to be able to drive a Maybach. You know, those things that are bulletproof. And, you know, it's, it's, it, they start at about $550,000 and go on their way up. They have, like, Louis Vuitton leather on the inside, diamond encrusted this. And I mean, they, they, it, it's what all the, the, uh, the, the sheiks and the millionaires have in the Middle East. And, and they weigh as much as a tank because you could drive through a brick wall. And I mean, it'd be, it'd be cool to be able to have that if you want because the safety standard is obviously pretty high because uh, the person is not necessarily driving it for luxury, but they are a high-valued individual. And so they're, they're, they're not going to be riding around in a Pinto, right? Right, because the safety standard is going to be a little higher. But we, we, we often uh, probably don't pay enough attention to safety rating. Um, it's safe. It's got airbags, you know. Uh, and some of you are probably kind of go do your homework on the airbags. And that's good. I, I, you know, well, this model is, is eight-tenths of a point higher in airbag safety than this car. Most of the time we go, yeah, it looks good, and we'll just pray, right? Uh, when I bought my uh, Ford Explorer that I had my wreck in uh, years ago that was in that terrible wreck, it wasn't until later, much too late, that I found out it was the worst safety-rated SUV in the history of safety ratings for front-end impacts. I found that out firsthand. When, when the motor was sitting, basically sitting in my lap. Uh, matter of fact, the, the man that did the safety rating test for it wrote and said that he would not let any of his family ride it in that particular model of the Ford Explorer. Uh, it was the 96 through 99 model. Amen. And I, I happened to be driving one. Amen. And so... Had I, had I not been just so desperate or in just so eager to get back out on the evangelistic field and I, it was an SUV and I didn't have time and it worked and I liked the color and boom. But everything has a standard to it. Everything has a, but the problem is we focus on minimum standard. What is, what is minimally acceptable, right? Uh, I, I often um, am astonished how hard we fight for minimum pay. Right, and and I'm not saying you know I understand I can understand the concept of its value, but rather than saying you're worth far more than that, you ought to be able to negotiate your wage. We just gave uh, big corporations an easy way out and said, well, you just pay that much and we'll be happy. 
and it's not even livable most of the time, right? But we'll, we'll be happy at that minimum wage, right? Minimum test requirements. There's a minimum score. You know, when I, when I go to have surgery and hope I never have another one, I don't want to find out my doctor. Are y'all with me? <laughs> You know, 70's passing, and he got, you know, Brother Lee, he got a 70.8. I, I don't really want that doctor. I know he's got the same degree as the doctor that made a 100. But I'm going to kind of feel a whole lot better with a doctor that's above the 90%, right? So, but we focus on the minimum, right? Just the minimum. That's, that's what, and... And if we're not careful, we bring that attitude into the kingdom of God because God's not a God of minimums. He will say, here's the threshold, but his expectation is far above that. Uh, we base everything on his sacrifice for us, and Calvary was not a minimum sacrifice. That wasn't the least he could do. He, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Amen. And so uh, every, everybody has standards. You know, even terrorists have standards. Man, everybody's got standards. Uh, I know they're trying to lower standards now because the military, is at, I was reading last week, is at a tremendous enlistment deficiency. I mean, for obvious reasons. And, but now they're trying to lower the standards because they can't find enough healthy young people that can qualify to get into the military. They're upping bonuses, and they're letting down on standards. You know, I'd, I'd hate to be the guy in that platoon that got pinned down with a bunch of guys that couldn't pass the previous exam, right? And so it's all about men. But when it comes to the church, we get offended if there's a standard. Well, God, because God's just, you know, just, it's just wide open. God's just happy with just anything we do. God's just thrilled. Well, God has standards, and his standard is Matthew 5, that we are the light of the world, and his standard is that he wants, in Matthew 5 and 14, us to be the light of the world, a city that cannot be hid, a city that would not be hid, a, a city that is, that is noticeable, that you, you, can, you can tell, and I talked last week about uh, being in the dark, and it doesn't take much light to be able to see great distances in the dark. Later, I went home last week, and I thought about the time I was flying to Africa, and I was uh, flying from London, England, and, of course, I'm looking out the window. It's night, and uh, I'm watching the little thing in the headrest. I'm, I'm the weirdo. I like to know where we're at on the planet while I'm flying, you know, because, you know, I've... I've seen those documentaries about I shouldn't be alive, you know, where the plane crashes. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm going to be ahead of the game if I'm landing in the desert or the jungle. I need to know these things, right? <laughs> I need to know if I'm landing in a war zone, right? I need, to, I need to know if I'm supposed to act like this or, you know, I'm just kidding. I just want to know where I'm at. And so we left the continent of Europe, passing over Sicily, and then we pass over the northern part of um, Algeria into Africa. And it was a beautiful full moon night. And you, you could see on that full moon, you could see the Sahara Desert uh, 
perfectly. It was beautiful. Um, but Brother Chase will appreciate this. I've told him this story. You could look out the windows, and it was a little unnerving at first. I didn't know what to think about it, Brother Vincent. But I was seeing what looked like what looked like, like what I would imagine a, a rocket being shot at me. I kept seeing these long flames. And then it, it didn't take long, but it, it clicked. Oh, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of oil out here in the desert. And it was their burn off. You know, they don't have OSHA and, and all the environmental stuff over there. So they got like 20-foot flames blasting out of the ground. What is it? The, uh, the flare. That's what it is, the flare, which they do that in uh, – Ecuador, too. You're driving through the jungle, and you come over a little ridge, and the whole valley's just flickering orange, isn't it? Just the whole thing, because it's dark out there. There's no porch lights. There's not much electricity, and that flare is just going about 10, 15 feet in the air, and it's just burning off, and it just, it's just it's amazing. And I'm looking down across the desert. I kept trying to take pictures of it for like an hour, and you could see all of the desert around it lit up because it was so desolate out there. And from 36, 37,000 feet, I'm able to see those flames because when it's dark, it's easy to see the light. And Jesus said, I, I want my people to stand out, to stand apart. I want you to be the light of the world and and and. That's, that's what I need you to be. That's what I want you to be, is to be a light. People shouldn't have to run around the back of your car to see if there's a fish emblem, to see if you're a Christian or not, right? You shouldn't have to say, or, you know, you know we wear it as a button right here that I'm a Christian. Uh, Jesus made it clear that, that we should be a light to the world, amen? And I said last week, not a blowtorch, but a light right now. We're not just trying to melt everybody. Right? We want to be a light. We want to be set apart, distinguishable from the darkness. Amen. And, uh, and, and in doing that, it begins in our spirit with the spirit of holiness. Uh, but from there, it begins to work through us and through our character. Uh, we talked about how Paul wrote to the book of 1 Corinthians in, in his first letter. And he was dealing with, and, and I know I've taught on this before, uh, we're on the podcast jumping into the book of Colossians, and we're, gonna, we're taking a very um, studious look at the book of Colossians, and then from there we'll go to the first book of Corinthians, and we'll talk about this in greater detail. And I mentioned it before, uh, but the, the Corinthian church was a, was a nut house. I mean, I'm being very kind. Well, I mean, it were nuts. Them people were crazy. They were just all spirit and and just all gifting and and no balance. And so Paul's writing to them because they were being saved. There, there was two in, incredibly strong factions in the early church at that time that were vying for power uh, or for supremacy of the church. And one of those groups was the, the, the Judaizers who were saying, well, now that you're saved and you're a Gentile, uh, you're going to need to come up under the law of Moses now. All the men need to be circumcised. You now need to uh, come up under the law of Moses and dietary law. You need to start attending temple on Saturday. And so now that you're saved through that, now, you, now you've got to come up under the law of Moses and become a, a, a Jewish you got to come along and do that. And then fighting hard against that was the other extreme, and that was the Corinth extreme, if we could call it that, uh, that was saying, you know, um, God don't care about any of that. 
as long as you've been baptized and filled with the Spirit, uh, we can continue on in sin. We can continue on living our life because obviously, you know, it, it, it's just our salvation that matters. And beyond that, God don't care. And so they were continuing on in paganism and they were going into the depths of paganism. They were still walking in paganism and, and thinking that that was okay because uh, they saw no need uh, to change. And they would even uh, rear up and say, well, you're, you're attacking our culture. This is who we are. Let me tell you something. Culture stops where the word of God draws a line. We, we, we celebrate culture. I think, I think diverse cultures are phenomenal. Amen. But, but where a culture has something that goes against the word of God, we don't honor that part of the culture anymore. Let, let me give you an example. Um, I'm Scots-Irish and, and uh, German, right? Uh, the, right, the Scots-Irish part of us, that culture is, you know, they're, they're drunks. And they like to fight, right? That's, they get together and do that all the time, right? So not going to follow through on that part. Amen. Amen. Brother Vincent's got some, we found out, got a lot of Irish in him too. We're like 48% same genetics. He and I did this genetics thing together. Amen. Y'all didn't know it. We're almost half brothers. Amen. But quite seriously, don't we? We have a lot of the same uh, regions that we're from. It's pretty amazing. It's true. We're, we're like 40-something percent from the same region. And uh, so there's these cultures that we have that are, that are cultural things that we don't do because the Word of God says don't do it. Like, you know, the, and of course, I don't want to take after the German part of my culture because we just like to take over everything and kill everybody. And we don't want to do that, right? So, <laughs> so. You, you, you can't, what the Corinth church was saying was, our culture is in paganism. We can still serve Christ and be pagan. It's our culture. Don't mess with our culture, right? And so Paul writes and says, what? We read that last week. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? That's what your body is. You're defiling your body with these things. And, and, and then he said uh, in the next verse of verse 20, he said, uh, thank you, Brother Mansell, for being so on top of it too. If you'll go to verse 20, he says, uh, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. So what he was saying was, I know you feel like you're glorifying God in your spirit, but you also need to glorify him in your body. And this is where Paul will get into the letter, and we're not going to get into this for quite some time, not because I'm, um, uh, don't want to talk about it only because we're getting there much later. But this is where Paul would begin to really reemphasize the distinction of the sexes because in Corinth, it was becoming a um, um, an androgynous type it was an androgynous type culture where they blended the sexes a lot. And so Paul is writing and he's saying, "No, no, you can't do that." You can't do that. And he begins to draw the line of distinctions. And, and knowing that some were going to be offended, he says, well, if you've got a problem with this, just check around with all the other churches in Asia and Europe and in Africa because what I'm teaching you here, we teach it everywhere. 
So you're not being singled out for your culture. I mean, where, where do we stop, you know, and stop honoring a culture when it's contrasting the word of God? There, there, were, there, there are cultures that, that uh, they used to eat the flesh of their dead by, to honor the dead. They would eat parts of their body. So do we honor that? In, in, in the Americas, some of the native tribes, it was when a tribe was conquered, it was considered an honor that when they, they killed the children of the other tribe to drink their blood. Do we honor that? No, where the word of God draws a line, we back up that, amen? And I, I believe we can celebrate our culture and still celebrate the kingdom. But once we come up under the standard, which is, we were talked about last week, is a flag. When we come under the standard of the kingdom of God, we really enter into a new culture. We enter into a kingdom culture. It's not an American culture. It's not a Western culture. It's a kingdom culture. I, I often laugh at, at, at uh, I, I feel pity, but I often laugh at, the ignorance of these people that try to argue that Christianity is, that's the white man's religion. It came from, it came from Europe. They don't know what they're talking about. The earliest Bibles were in Ethiopia. <laughs> the Gospels came from the Middle East and North Africa. So, sorry, find something else to be a victim of. You don't like it, it came. It was most long-lasting preserved on the continent of Africa, not in Europe. But, you know, let's don't let facts get in the way. Amen. So, so there is, everybody say there's a standard. And so God raises up a standard and says, this, this is my church. This is what I am. I need you to represent this standard. Paul says, I want you to be an ambassador of this standard. Amen. So what do standards represent? This is where we left off. A standard is a flag or a banner. Flags represent customs, traditions, things of that nature. We talked about uh, the different flags and what they represent. Uh, what the standard does is it identifies a nation and its citizens. Amen. The standard of holiness identifies God's people as belonging to him. Amen. Praise God. It is warm in here. And I, Brother Chasky, you got the little thing. I, I don't know what I did. I thought I turned it on earlier. But we pay good money for that, so Brother Chase knows the secret sauce on that thing, so amen. I don't know if I hit a button wrong earlier or something, but we'll, we'll, I told you, we'll get you. I hope you didn't sweat too much because it's going to turn to icicles here in a minute. Amen. And so, so those on the listen on the podcast are like, what in the world? Maybe we can edit that part out. Amen. <laughs> Somebody listen to the podcast. Go, I'm not going to that church. They're sweating on Wednesday nights. Well, it's hot, all right? It's humid. Y'all see it rain yesterday morning? I was up making coffee, and it just started hitting the roof. And I thought, oh, my goodness, it's hailing outside. And I walked outside, stuck my hand out there. It was just big old fat drops of rain. I said, man, we're in And then, it, Brother Clifton, it was so humid yesterday. And I said, well, bless God, if we're going to have Texas humidity, give us Texas housing prices now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <Hey, man. laughs> We pay a premium not to have that blasted humidity. Amen. <laughs> we, 
wanted to call the realtors and them and say, we're not paying $900,000 for a shoebox with a chimney. We got humidity. It's, it's at least got to go down to 600, amen. You notice things get cheaper with more humidity, amen. <laughs> Praise God, amen. And so, so the standard of air conditioning, amen means be cool. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to try that. Thank you, Brother Chase. And so we're to be ambassadors of that. We, we talked about that, how, how important that is, that a standard represents a distinction. We're not like, the matter of fact, when, uh, when Germany was defeated in the Second World War, they changed their standard from the Nazi standard of the Third Reich to what we see now. They, they didn't want to be identified with that standard when Russia fell and communism fell, um, I can still remember as a kid when that fell. Most of you still remember when uh, the Berlin Wall came down and the Iron Curtain fell around Russia. Uh, they changed their standard. They wanted a new identity. Amen. God has always had one standard. Holiness. And he has required all of his people to be a holy people. Amen. Is this making sense tonight? Let me get a drink of water. Amen. Now, it was so warm in here, it made the water warm. Now, God, let, let's look at this idea of separation, okay? Where God has wanted his people. See, now, and I've said this a lot. Every time we talk about holiness, we get fixated we get fixated on rules. That's not holiness. I'm talking about holiness. And when you get the spirit of holiness, really nothing else matters. You're just gonna, you just want to be up under the banner of holiness. You want to be like him. Now, it doesn't nullify anything. I just think oftentimes we confuse it, right? So let's talk about this idea of separation. Man, we're in for it tonight. I'm, I'm so off my, my notes here. I just tacked another week onto this series. Let's talk about this idea. God's people has always been a, a separate people. So much so that when God called, um, when God called Abraham out, he first told him, separate from those people. Then when God calls the nation of Israel out of the, the captivity and the bondage of Egypt, he then tells, uh, gives Moses laws uh, detailing down to the minute details uh, that they needed to be a separate people because he was holy. He wanted his people to be different from everybody else. Remember, Egypt is a typology of what? The world and, and a sinful life. And so when God delivered them through the water of the Red Sea and under the cloud, Corinthians tells us it was symbolic of water baptism in Jesus' name. They, he said, remember, is it 1 Corinthians uh, huh? 10, where he says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, how that all our fathers were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. Because he was saying it is a typology to come out of the world to be saved from sin. you got to come through the sea. And to me, it's no coincidence that it was called the Red Sea. Because it's water baptism in the name of Jesus that puts the blood 
of Jesus. And the cloud, baptize the cloud and see. So that, that brings them out of bondage. Amen. Now, you say, how does it bring it out of bondage? Because in the sea, God drowned the enemies of Israel. Amen. But it, 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 only, it only took God one, one night to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. So the easy part is water baptism being filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the easy part. Now we've got cultures of Egypt in us that we, got to, that we can't hold on to and be his people. And they struggled with this. And you think about it, uh, yeah, they were in the desert. Okay, I get it. But I don't really feel sorry for them because they had air conditioning. They did. They had a cloud by day. And you know it gets cold in the desert at night. And what they have at night? A pillar of fire at night. They, they would even every week got a special meal called manna. And all they had to do is just get up and put it in a basket. It's pretty amazing. And so we don't know what that, that manna was. I don't know, but they really seem to like it. Amen. So God provided food for them. The Bible said their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. Amen. That, that, that's a pretty poor business plan if you're into making money. You know, you want tires to wear out eventually. You want, you know. That's why you don't want a car, if you're a car maker, to last 500,000 miles, right? You want it to last a little, because you wanted to buy another one. But God took care of them. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Uh, what was God trying to do? God was trying to purge Egypt out of them. All, they, he wanted them to know you're not Egyptian. Even though you've been there as slaves for 400 years, you're not an Egyptian. I've, I've, I've got, I've got, now I've gotten you out through the water and the cloud. Now I've gotten you out of Egypt. The hard part is now getting Egypt out of you. I've saved you from the world. And this is discipleship. Discipleship is nothing more than the wandering before we get to heaven where God is working the world out of us. We're pilgrims. We're strangers in a strange land. This world is not my home. My passport says I'm an American, but my soul says I'm heaven's. I'm a citizen of another country. My hope is not in this world. If it was, we'd be among all most miserable. But our hope is not in this world. So watch this. God, God tells Moses, he said, I, will, I want you to separate their food. Matter of fact, I want you to separate how they plant their food. He was pretty detailed. Now, I've heard people say, and I, you know, I guess you could, it's not salvific, so it really doesn't matter if you take this view or not, that God had them abstain from pork and scavenging animals and um, shellfish and all of this stuff, fish uh, without scales and all that stuff because, because of uh, cleanliness and to avoid parasites. And like, hey, you know, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. That's fine. But I, I don't think that was the main reason. The main reason was God said, I'm going to restrict your diet because every time you eat, I want you to know there's certain things you can't eat. And by not eating it, you identify 
is mine. Amen. This, this, this is where you, you, you kind of lose people that, that want to play church, right? We talked about that last week too. God put that, he, what would have been wrong? I would have think it would have been a whole lot easier to raise a bunch of pigs in the desert, right, and be able to eat that. They're, they're easily portable, right? Nothing will cheer up the mood of a camp like bacon in the morning. If they'd had bacon, I guarantee you there wouldn't have been half the murmuring they had in that wilderness. They'd probably gotten to promised land in 10 years instead of 40. But the idea was you are mine. And, and, I, and, and you say, well, pastor, you're making God sound possessive. He's extremely possessive. <laughs> Quite maniacal about his possessiveness. Uh, so, well, God, sounds like God's controlling. Mm, well, de- define controlling. Against your will? No. Follow his way? Yes. Because God understands our nature. See, wrapped all around this muscle, and I would like to say it's all muscle, but this muscle and fat, wrapped around all of that, holding it together is this layer of flesh. And God hates it. But don't worry, your flesh hates God. Check out Romans 8. Paul said, for the flesh is enmity. It's the eternal enemy of God. Matter of fact, God, God <laughs> does not like our flesh so much. He said, when I bring you to heaven, that's got to stay on the earth. Either through the grave or through the rapture, it's coming off of you. And I'm going to give you a new body because I don't even want that body here because that stuff can't glory in my presence. Amen. That is born into damnation and sin. And so to live in heaven, there can't be any sin. So I've got to get, I have covered you in my mercy and in my blood. I've given you a, this prop may be a poor example and, and don't attack me for it, or at least not too hard. I'm going to give you a deodorant to mask it. Because to, to God, it stinks. It's repulsive. So he takes his blood and he covers it. And he said, that'll do as long as you're on the earth. But the moment it's time to get off the earth, you're leaving that sack of bones on the earth. And I'm giving you a new body where you'll be like me. Right? Now, now I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying some things, but it, hopefully I don't, I'm not losing you the oversimplification of it. And then because of that, God says, I want you to be like me. Now, that's a tall task. I cannot be like God, not on my best day and God's worst. But what he means by that is I want you to reflect my standard. You're my people. So one of the, one of the places we err in the most is thinking that because we're in the, we're in the dispensation of grace, that God could care less. We, we have the Corinthian mentality that God could care less. Anything that we do, you know, just not the bad things, right? Like the 10 big ones, right? Outside of that, but even if I do that, God will understand and I'll repent. But what we, we fail to realize is we have become spiritual Israel. 
And those things, a lot of those things carry over in the spiritual application into the New Testament. I'm taking a long time to say this because it's really important we catch this. God told Israel, you're not going to eat certain foods. I guarantee you there were people there and there that loved shrimp and catfish and pork. They ate it in Egypt. They come out of Egypt, God said, no more pork, no more catfish, no more crawfish, no more sausage, no, no, and he starts listening. And the people are like, are you kidding me? I, and the whole point was, I brought you out of Egypt. I've got to change your appetite from the things that were acceptable there are no longer acceptable here. And I can't just tell you that because you won't get it. You've been 400 years a slave. I can't change your mind overnight. I have got to ingrain it into every facet of the way you live. Not only am I going to restrict what you eat, you can eat whatever you want within this parameter. But I'm going to even tell you how you can plant your crops. What was wrong with planting two different crops in the same field? Nothing. It works. We do it all the time around here. What was God doing that for then? Was it to be mean? No. He's teaching them, you're different. So much so that they couldn't even blend the type of clothing they wore. You couldn't have wool and silk. You, you, you couldn't have uh, polyester. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, they didn't have polyester back then. He said, if you're going to wear wool, you wear all wool. If you're going to wear linen, you wear all linen. Now, is there some kind of health benefit? No. Is, there, is it a moral well, I mean, just it only became a sin when God said, you do this to be mine. And if you're mine, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed under this standard of holiness. Okay? So I'm, I'm taking a, a long way around to say this. So now we step over into the New Testament, and people say, well, none of that applies now. Just like Corinth said, none of that applies. And Paul writes and says, oh, yeah, it, it applies. Now, we've been brought out from the bondage of the law. Christ, has, Christ did not do away with the law. He fulfilled the law. Amen. But there were aspects of which that were determinative to be moral laws that God said, we're holding on to them. Right. Now, I, I don't really like to get into this a lot because I don't ever want to sound like I'm just harping on it and I'm bashing on it, but it is the main issue in our culture right now. And so just, this isn't a bash, this is just a, because, um, I mean, if you know me, that's, that's not how I am anyway. But one of the main issues in our culture, and I don't, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking in Christianity. I can't control what the world does and how they think. But within churches now, it's become acceptable. Um, it's been become trendy to say, well, the New Testament doesn't teach against uh, prospects of marriage, whether it's two men, two women, or five women and one man, or 20 women and, and 50 men. It doesn't matter. Because the New Testament, and it's like, did you not read Romans? Because I could say... They say, well, Jesus never specifically said it. He was a rabbi. He upheld everything the Old Testament taught. He didn't get rid of it. He fulfilled. But when it came to moral things, those never changed. 
Now, if we're going to take that logic, and I've said this before, and I don't, I don't want to get too graphic. If we're going to take that logic that it had to come out of the mouth of Jesus, literally had to come out of the mouth of Jesus, although Jesus would reference marriage as a man and a woman, so, and that even shoots down polygamy. If we're going to go with that logic, where do you stop? Because Jesus never said bestiality was a sin. Never said it. Now, does that mean it's okay to go down to the farm and marry a goat? No, that's, it's, you're kind of rolling your eyes. I know, I got my glasses off. But I can still tell you're rolling your eyes and going, okay, that's kind of stupid. That's kind of extreme. No, it is the very same logic. That if it didn't come out of the mouth of Jesus, then by that standard, anything Jesus didn't say is acceptable. When what you fail to, to deduce is that he is still upholding as a rabbi. So Jesus didn't have to get up and say, okay, let me, uh, all of these things are sin. Grab your paper and pen, quill, tablets of stone. Um, Thou shalt not marry um, a goat and consummate that marriage. You can't do that. He didn't have to say that. Those, those were a given, right? We were beyond that. So you can't use that logic. So then the question is, okay, so how does that apply to me? Now the law is fulfilled and I can eat bacon. Thank you, Jesus, for fulfilling the law. Amen. I can eat bacon wrapped catfish and I do when I go home. Amen. So how does that apply to me? Aren't we free of that? So that means anything the law represented, we are now released from unless it's a moral law. Okay. So what is a standard is the question. What is the standard? And how does a standard apply to us in the New Testament? And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap up on this. The first standard applied, in, now listen, everything goes back to the law of first mention. If you want to understand a revelation, if you want to understand a law, if you want to understand how God worked, you always go back to the first time. And the first standard of the Bible was set in Genesis, in the, in the garden. So, And you've heard me teach this before. God creates Adam, and he says, this is, you know, Eden, this is paradise. Uh, you can have anything you want. Uh, you can eat anything you want. You, you want. you eat all the passion fruit you want, although you're by yourself, and I don't recommend it. You can eat all the bananas you want. You can eat all the kiwis you want. You can eat whatever. And, but he told Adam, he said, you see that tree over there? And I think the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I think was just me, I think it was probably one of the most beautiful trees in the garden because God knew Adam was attracted to it. He said, you see that beautiful tree over there? Don't eat the fruit of it. Didn't say he couldn't be around it. He said, just don't eat it. So then God creates Eve out of the side of Adam. And she wakes up, and what a conversation that must have been. And he's like, wow, this is great. You're so much better than fruit and wild animals, you know. And so he's walking around. He's showing things around. I mean, really. We, we just turn the page and go, oh, that was over. I mean, there was some conversation ahead, right? It wasn't like a baby. It wasn't like your baby, how you can ease them into it and understand on itty-bitty baby level. I mean, when she woke up, she was a woman. And so 
Adam is walking around with her saying, this is all ours. We can, we can eat anything we want. We can go anywhere we want. We can, you know, we're free. Um, of course, the concept of freedom, they really didn't know because they didn't know bondage. So, I mean, they just were. They were in fellowship with God. And I don't mean to go down that rabbit trail, but they're walking around, and Eve is just like, oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. And, you know, women have a more astute eye than men. And I believe very quickly she saw that beautiful tree. And again, this just me. I think it was probably the most attractive tree in the whole garden. And her eye is drawn to it. And, and, and she goes, oh, you know, wow. And Adam goes, oh, yeah, about that tree. <laughs> you got expensive taste, lady. <laughs> oh, he had no idea, did he? <laughs> They always find the thing that's not affordable, right? And he says, oh, about that tree. You have no clue yet, amen. About that tree. I know it's beautiful. Um, but you can't touch that tree. Well, technically, that's not what God said. God said, don't eat it. But Adam, being a, both a good steward of the garden and a leader of his home, said, don't touch it. Now, I've heard people preach against me saying, you know, Adam, you know, Eve fell because he didn't say exactly what God said. No. Eve fell because she became enamored with what she couldn't have. And when he said, don't touch it, he set the first standard and said, God said, don't eat it. But if it's not good enough, if, if you're not able to eat it, then it's probably safe that you don't touch it. And he distanced her. He's making it safe, right? You know, you don't build a fence at the side of the freeway on the shoulder. You build it far enough out that there's safety there. You build a little higher. Well, we know that they, they fail. So that's the first standard, right? Now, the next standard we're going to see in the Bible is where God is, boy, he's mad at Israel, right? He, he, I mean, he's ready to kill them. He said, step back, Moses. I'm going to zap every one of these boogers right here, right now. I'm going to kill them all. And Moses is like, no, you know, please don't. Remember, you love these people. <laughs> And I'm really simplifying the story, but that's pretty much how it went. God said, step back, Moses. I'm going to fry every one of these turkeys right now. I'm tired of putting up with them. Look at all I've done for them. And these jokers out here dancing, necking in front of a golden calf, and these people are nuts. I'm just going to wipe them out. And Moses is like, you know, I'm kind of mashing a timeline together. And, and Moses no. And God says, you know what? I want you to go back up that mountain, and we're going to talk. And he said, but tell the people, if they put foot on that mountain, I'm going to kill anybody that puts their foot on that mountain. And then the question of Moses is, well, well, God, where does the mountain start? He said, you know what? I'm going to leave that up to you. You go get a stick, and you draw a line. Moses, Moses did not go to topography school. Moses was not a map maker. Moses was a shepherd. 
He didn't understand what the geological features were where the mountain stopped and the valley started. God loaned him his authority to say, Moses, wherever you draw a line, that's what I'm going to back up. And Moses carefully, because he loved the people, carefully took that staff and he drew a line. And God backed up the line that the man drew. Okay. Now, I, I've, got to, I've got to say this on both sides. It had to be done within the authority of God. So that doesn't mean you or I can just start drawing lines everywhere we want and say, okay, God, back it up. That's not the way it works. So, so now the next question would be because it, this is an a intellectual church. You, you know your Bible. The next question would be, okay, where is the New Testament equivalent of that? Well, then you would have to jump over to a story in the Gospels where they are in a boat, and, and, and most of you have heard this. I've taught this before. They're in a boat, and the, they are coming into the breaking surf, and the white foam of the sea is cresting over the bow of the boat, and all 12 of them are in there. They get to where the shoreline is, and they all begin to jump out of the boat, grabbing onto to ropes to lead the boat safely to navigate some of the rocks upon the shoreline. And as they are wading in and trying to pull the boat over the crest of the wave so they're not sucked back out by the current and the tide, Jesus chose that moment on the coast of Caesarea Philippi to ask his disciples a question. Who do men say that I am? And they're tugging the boat and trying to get it in. And they start saying, well, um, I, I, you know what? I heard somebody say that you're, you're Elias. And they're securing the boat on the shoreline and pulling it out of the surf so the bow won't be beaten upon the rocks. And they're reminiscing on what they heard. Well, I went down to the barber shop. And somebody said, you're John the Baptist. And Uncle Bubba said this one about you. Aunt Sally Mae said, I don't know why they all had southern names, but Aunt Sally Mae said this about you. And everybody's saying this. And, you know, they, they were, they were, I read New York Times, and they said this about you, but, you know, you can't believe them anyway. And, you know, you, this and this, and everybody's saying this. And then Jesus stopped. And he pointed his finger right under the nose of Simon Peter. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And in that moment, an anointing that came from heaven surged through the mouth of that fisherman. And he cried out, thou art the Christ, the son of the living I believe when he said that, it wasn't a casual thing. I believe his body tremored when he said that with anointing. Because then Jesus would say, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. But his name wasn't Peter. His name was Simon son of Jonah, but I say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I want to be clear. I'm not building this church. You're not building this church. He's building this church. We're all the material that he uses. Amen? Amen. Some are two by four. Some are caulking. Some are bricks. Amen? 
Some of us got brick heads. Amen. But he's using us to build his church. But I want to key on this. He said, thou art Peter. You are, you are in Greek, it's Petros. And it means a fragment of a rock. Now, some argue that it means pebble. I, I differ that the original says fragment of a rock because it's very important because the Catholic used the name Peter upon this rock, that pebble that Jesus would build his church. And so they say Peter is the foundation of the church, which is not what Jesus said. And so that's why when you go to St. Peter's Basilica, as a matter of fact, there is nothing that even says Peter ever went to Rome. Most likely he didn't. He was crucified in North Africa or in the Middle East as a martyr. Now, I said all that to say, y'all, I'm not losing you, am I? So over in St. Peter's Basilica, they got this hundreds-of-year-old statue of, of Peter out there, and everybody walks by every day, and they, they kiss the foot of Peter, and they pray and, you know, whatever. And it's sad to see people caught in such delusion about that. But he said, thou art Peter. You are a fragment of a rock. And when he said, thou art Peter, everybody knew what he was talking about. He said, and I say unto thee, thou art a fragment of a rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter was not that rock. The rock was the revelation that the fragment had just spoke of. I'm going to build my church on this revelation that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is God of heaven wrapped in flesh, revealed to upon that revelation, I will build my church that there is one God. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah who has come to take away the sins of the world. Upon that rock, but it's not just rock, it's also relationship because he said, okay, you said who I am, now let me tell you who you are. And so I'm going to build my church on the rock of revelation and I'm going to build my church on the rock of relationship. I know you, you know me. We can't be in the church if we don't know him and he don't know us. Then he said, now this is the New Testament standard, and I'm going to close after this. He said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the shall not. Then what did he say? And whatsoever. He point, he's pointing right at Peter. And whatsoever you bind on earth. I will bind it in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, why didn't he start in heaven? Because Peter wasn't there. His church is in the earth. He said, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. I'm giving you the authority that's going to unlock a dispensation of grace and salvation to the Jews and the Gentiles. You're going to open that door standing on a balcony in Acts chapter 2. You're going to unlock that door on Pentecost, son. And when you open that door, I'm giving you apostolic authority that when you lose something on earth, I will back it up and I will loose it in heaven. And if you'll bind it on earth, I will back you up, son, and I will bind it in heaven. This was the mosaic moment on the mountain. Peter, where you draw the line, I'm going to back it up. Peter, I am talking to you just like I talked to Moses. 
thousands of years ago in the wilderness. Peter, I am giving you and the apostolic church through anointing and church governance, I am giving you the authority that if you will stay in my word and you will stay in my will, if you draw a line, I'm going to back it up. Amen. Does that make sense? Now, now let me, let me follow that. Let me, let me, let me kind of try to put a bow on this and tie it off. This is why you see the development of church governance throughout the epistles. You see it developing. You see the apostles taking stands for things. And then they would say, the spirit bear witness. Because, Brother Chase, the apostles were in uncharted territory. Gentiles being saved. The Holy Ghost being poured out. Christ in us. This is all new. They're in uncharted territory. So when the apostles drew a line, the Spirit would bear witness of it. And they would say, there we go. You know what? That tells me that some folks tried things that the Spirit didn't bear witness of. And they didn't do it. Amen. Amen. Now, now, now watch this. I'm going somewhere with this. So, God knew that there was going to be reaching to the Gentiles. This is why you got to be careful saying, well, the Bible doesn't specifically say that. But it says it in spirit. There is nothing in that New Testament Bible, and I'm going to disappoint some of you right here. I know it. There's nothing in that Bible that says, I cannot take my Dodge Ram pickup and run you over tonight. Nothing in there. Nothing in there about a Dodge Ram pickup or a GMC for that matter, and that you can't run over people that make you mad. That's nothing in there. Does that mean you can do it? Nope. Because the New Testament tells us we need to love one another, and we can't impose bodily harm upon one another. That's there. Because it doesn't specifically say the make and model of the means by which you try to execute violence doesn't mean that God's okay with it or God is silent on it. God lets the spirit of it reach through the cultures, reach through different generations, reach through different millennium, reach through different centuries and say the word of God is still accurate whether we're in we're in the early part of the church in, at, uh, in 100 AD or whether we're in a postmodern society in 2023. The word of God is so accurate that we can follow it whether we are living in primitive times or we're in the height of technology where we are now. Because God said, my word will always be able to allow you to draw a line that I'll back up. Nothing, listen, you got to be careful where you, you, you come, go with it. Because it may not spell out what's in your heart. And that's where we got to be careful. Because our heart will want to do something so much. We'll use the word to justify what our flesh wants to do. And we'll say, well, that's not what it meant, or it doesn't say anything. The Bible's silent. Listen, there, there's a lot of people claiming the Bible's silent about things it's singing about. 
And there's a lot of people saying the Bible saying stuff where it is mute on. Because I cannot find the letters spelled out in there doesn't mean that it's not in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not go on to uh, dirty websites on the internet. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Does, that. does that give us a license to do it then? Because the spirit of it is there. If you look after someone to lust in your heart, you've already committed it. So the spirit is there. So then, therefore, we can draw the line in 2023, even though Jesus and the apostles didn't say you can't go to bad websites on the Internet. We can draw a line under apostolic authority and say you can't go on that website. That's a sin. Because the spirit of it's there. Does that make sense? Oh, hallelujah. I'm talking about a standard. So the word doesn't have to spell it out specifically for it to be wrong. This is what Paul is dealing with in Corinthians. What? Don't you know that your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost? Why would you do those things that would defile the temple? Now, I was, I was reading a, a, one of Leonard Ravenhill's books recently, and uh, he tells the story of... Now, Leonard Ravenhill, for a large portion of his um, life, was a very, very conservative, very conservative Southern Baptist. This, I mean, now they, they probably kick him out. And he talked about going to a Baptist church somewhere in the deep south, and uh, he would always get to church really early because he was fixated on how many people would come to church and pray. That was his real thing. You know, he's the one that came up with the deal Sunday morning says how, how popular the church is, uh, midweek talks tells how popular the pastor is, but prayer night shows how popular Jesus is. So he would always get to the church an hour early to see if anybody was there to pray. And so he comes to the specific church on this one night, and he, he says, I'm, I walk around the corner of the back of the church, and there's the whole deacon board and a bunch of leaders in the church, and they're out there just smoking cigarettes like freight trains. They're just puffing and going. And, just, and they, he comes around the corner, and they're like, Ugh! So he just said, well, uh, hello? They said, Brother Ravenhill, the, the front door's there, and church don't start for an hour. He goes, no, I came because I needed to see what the church really was. And so he walked in, and church started, and he got up to preach. Well, I don't know if we can handle preaching like this now. And he walks in, he gets in the pulpit, writes, I believe it's in his book, Sodom Had No Bible. Very tremendous, great book. And he says, uh, I asked, I, I said, I got in the pulpit and I, I commanded. I didn't ask. I said, everyone here who has cigarettes, pull them out now. So they reached in there. They were nervous. He said, I said, pull them out now. And that church, several hundred people started pulling out cigarettes. He said, hold them up. They're holding them up, like just turning beet red. He says, okay, pull one out. They pull it out. He said, okay, put it in your mouth. And the pastor over there has got his foot going like thumper. Pop, 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 pop. He's just getting nervous. One of the young ministers hollered and said, you, no, 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 we, we're not going to do that in the church. He goes, you be quiet. I said, put the cigarette in your mouth. People started putting cigarettes. People were weeping with cigarettes in their mouth. He said, now grab your lighter, and I want you to light it up and smoke it right here in the church house. 
the pastor jumped up and said, Brother Ravenhill, we will not tolerate smoking in the house of God. He said, but you tolerate it in the house of God all the time. This is not the temple of God. This is the temple of God. He said, how dare you treat this place with more respect than you teach the place where God actually dwells. If we do it here, we do it everywhere. Because this is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is the agreed upon meeting place, 635 William Street. This is in the sense a house of God in that we have made it the house of God. But this is the house of God because he has made it the house of God. If you won't do it here, then why would you defile God's house out there? If you won't talk like that out in here, why talk like that out there? I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm just being so old-fashioned, I know it. Pardon me for, I'm, I'm, it's going to be my new quote, pardon me for being so biblical. <laughs> you notice I'm not, I'm just talking scripture here. You know, don't, don't shoot the mailman. I'm of the belief if you couldn't talk like that in here, I shouldn't talk like that out there. If you won't treat people like that in here, don't treat them like that out there. Because this is not the temple of God. This is the temple of God. It's amazing what we'll do. It's like God's got blinders once we leave the church. I, I, I remember growing up, people wouldn't cuss on church property. They'd, they'd go across the street, bleep, 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 across the street. They wouldn't do it on church property. And you know what? I, hats off to them. At least they got some respect. Remember, they wouldn't smoke on church property. They wouldn't chew, you know, tobacco on church property, wouldn't dip. I knew people wouldn't even spit on church property. They had so much respect for it. Man, that funeral would get out, and man, them smokers take off running across the parking lot. <laughs> getting across the street, getting under a tree. <gasps> because they had so much respect for God's house. But that's not God's house. This is God's house. Folks, when the word of God teaches a standard, it doesn't mean for this house. It means for this house at all times. Man, listen, if you, if you wouldn't watch it here, if you wouldn't listen to it here, You say, oh, that's just, you're being a fuddy-duddy. That's just, oh, that's too hard. That's what Israel said when they came out of Egypt. Until they finally got a glimpse 
of what God had on the other side of Jordan. And boy, it didn't care how much bacon and catfish they had to pass up to get what God had prepared for them. They were willing to be the people of God. Amen. Amen. Is that all right? We've got to realize God did not stop having a standard just because we talk in tongues. One of the worst things we have done in modern Christianity is to identify God's house with a building. Because we think as long as we're holy here, we don't have to be holy out there. That we just need to come and give him our commitment here. It's a lifestyle of commitment. It's hard. Yeah, it's a sacrifice. Check out what Paul said in Romans 12. Living sacrifice. Your whole body. He was driving that into. Notice he didn't have to write that to the Hebrews. Never, he never had to deal with that with the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews. Not one time. When he wrote to the Jewish people, he did not have to deal with this. You want to know why? They knew it. Duh. Yeah, got it. But when he wrote to the Gentiles like us, he had to say, uh, things we don't do. Places we don't go. Words we don't say. Attitudes we don't have. Characteristics we get away with. Things we don't wear. He didn't say it to the Jewish people. They got it. They knew it. They had been living for thousands of years under the idea of being separate. It was only to the Gentile people that it was hard. But nevertheless, God did not stop requiring that of them. Amen? Praise God. Amen. Did you get something out of this tonight? Amen. Now, I want us to stand together because this is, and here's, here's what I run up against. I, I say I run up, but let me back that up. This is what people run up against God with. But, you know, and, and could say to me, they'd say, they would say, and because I've had them say, Pastor, if you just let go of that stuff, you know, that, Pastor, don't you know that that kind of stuff just pushes people out of the church? I want, I want to make this statement. And you're already standing, so you probably don't have your notes. So remember this and write it down later. People do not leave a church over holiness. They leave it because of an appetite of carnality. They don't say, I, I don't want to be holy. That's not what they say. They say, I want to be Egyptian. Now, let me just let me just say that because it's easy to climb up on our 52-hand high horse and set up in our ivory saddle and just look around. So, me, we all struggle with the Egyptian in us. Matter of fact, you will never not struggle with the Egyptian in you. But contrary to what the bangle said, you can't walk like an Egyptian. And all my 80 peeps said, I know what you're talking about, Pastor. You can't talk like an Egyptian. We're a child of God. Now, what we don't do also is say, well, until I get the Egyptian out of me, I'll be in Egypt. And then when I make up my mind not being Egyptian, then I'll ch- that, you don't do that. You walk with God. 
and let God work it out. The Bible says work out thy own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean we all have a different salvation. It means that it is a workout. I'm scared of Sister Chrissy. She can work you out. She's told me, Pastor, we can do some work. I'm working. She'd make professional athletes cry. I know she does. She knows how to work out. She'd get up there and probably start out all innocent. Now we're going on the count of three. We're going to do one, two, and three. And, one. and then four minutes later, my hip is going to be in my ear hole over here. He said work out. It's the same concept. It's going to take flexibility. It, it, it's going to take flexibility. And some days I'm going to be more rigid than others. And help me, some days I'm going to pull a hamstring and I'm going to struggle with my workout. But I'm not going to stop working out. I'm going to keep working out because eventually it's going to get better. And some some areas of the workout will get easier. There will always be a struggle. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. So can I just, can I just, I feel like telling somebody this in the Holy Ghost. Don't walk out of the gym because you don't get the workout or because it's, you're too tight or you hurt yourself. Stay in the workout. Just keep working out that salvation. Because eventually you're going to push past the point and go, wow, I passed that up. Whew, I'm going to keep working out. I got this struggle over here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. Hallelujah. Hey, man, leg day about killed me, but I got through it. Now I'm going to work on um, biceps today. I'm going to, you got to work out that salvation and say, I'm on the way of holiness. It's a workout. There's a workout. Hey, man, I may have pulled a calf muscle, but I'm going to keep walking, and I'm going to keep working out because I know this. I'm on the right path. I know I'm going in the right direction. I know this. Egypt is not my answer. I know this. Bondage to sin is not my answer. I know this, going back to where I was is not there, so I'm going to press through, even though it's a struggle. Even, even though it gets tough at times, I'm going to press through and work out this salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, hallelujah. We'll keep working it out. In Jesus' name. I'm leaving Egypt behind, and I'm going to walk through this wilderness. And I'm going to walk in the shadow of the cross. And I'm going to walk in the way of holiness. And I'm going to lift up the standard of God. And I'm going to walk under that banner. Amen. Not because anybody's holding a gun to my head. No, because I want to. I want to. There is a way called holiness. And I want to walk in it. And I want to see him face to face. And the only way I can, amen, is to have peace with all men and holiness. I want to see him. So I'm going to walk in the way of holiness. I'm going to have my spirit right. I'm going to love one another. Amen. I'm, I'm going to have communion with the Lord and my brethren in the name of Jesus I'm going to walk in the way of holiness I'm going to walk this path because God has separated me from Egypt I'm not an Egyptian Egypt is not my homeland this world is not my homeland amen I'm in this world but I'm not of this world I'm of a I'm of the different world he baptized me in the sea he baptized me in the cloud I don't belong in Egypt anymore. I know sometimes I get a craving for Egypt, but I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to keep following this pilgrim path. I'm going to walk the way of holiness, and one day he's going to say, enter in, thou good and faithful servant, into the joys of the Lord, because I found the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Reach over and pray with somebody near you for a moment before we dismiss. Just, just pray, Lord, give them strength tonight, God. Give them strength tonight, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that you would strengthen them right now. This is what the Bible meant when it said, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. Be not weary in working out, for in due season you're going to see the benefits if you faint not. Don't get discouraged because you're not seeing the progression that you want. Don't be discouraged because you're not as far down the road as you thought you should be. Don't be weary in well-doing. In due season, you will reap if you don't quit. You're going to see it if you just keep on keeping on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, help my appetite to change. Help my appetite to change. I don't want to eat from Egypt. I don't want to eat Egyptian food. I don't want Egypt's music. I don't want Egypt's entertainment. I don't want Egypt's relationships. I don't want Egypt's currency. I don't want Egypt's citizenship. I don't want Egypt covering. I don't want Egypt clothing. I don't want Egyptian anything. Lord, I belong to your kingdom. I am your child. I'm walking under your banner. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you're thankful for the cloud, why don't you just go ahead and worship him? If you're thankful for the spirit, the spirit of holiness, that Holy Spirit, you're thankful that come through the water, come through the sea. Aren't you glad you've got it? You're a citizen of another world. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Amen. I hope you're getting something out of these lessons. Amen. And, I, and, and, I, and my goal is, with the help of God, that you walk out of here saying, oh, I'm so glad I belong to Jesus. I'm so glad I'm walking under the banner of his holiness. Amen. I'm going to keep walking under it in Jesus' name. Pastor, what if I fall? Stretch and get back up and keep working it out. Amen. You're going to make it by his grace. Amen. Encourage somebody before you leave tonight. Bless them. Amen. Tell them you love them. Strengthen them with words. of Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.